Hello, and welcome to Mystified. This is a podcast where we bring you strange and unusual stories. My name is Tasha. This is Steven. And we are your hosts for this evening. Before we get started, I wanted to give a shout out to the Good Leaf Alternative and my buddy Paul over there, who hooked me up with these CBD products that have helped with my sleep. They help me fall asleep, stay asleep longer, uh, wake up feeling a little bit more rested. There's also some drops for during the day, which just kind of take the edge off of everything with um, all the stress and shit that's going on. I'm not at an 11 all day. I'm actually at a six or seven. If you've been interested in trying CBD, definitely check them out. Um, We'll have a link on our website, or you can find them on Instagram and Facebook at The Good Leaf Alternative. What you got over there in your hand, Stephen? I am drinking a Revolver Blood and Honey. That sounds like a very intense beer. Yeah, it's pretty mellow. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Fancy. Um, I'm sticking with the normal bitch beer, which is the Truly. Akai. Akai berry? Yeah. I said that correctly. Blueberry Akai. So this evening, I wanted to discuss the 90s. Do you remember the 90s? Yes, I remember the 90s. Did you enjoy the 90s? Well, I was a kid for half of it, so. Yeah. I, I mean, I was a teenager in the 90s, but I was still an 80s baby. I was still listening to 80s music in the 90s and then continuing to listen to 80s bands. So I wasn't really much of a 90s girl. But let's talk about one band in particular that I actually really, really like. And the song I want to discuss and the story behind it, to me, in my opinion, is one of the best songs of the 90s. And that band is Filter. Do you like Filter? I do. Yeah. What do you know about Filter? I mean... Do you want me to give a backstory of the entire... Just like a quick (laughs) synopsis of your knowledge of them so, you know, I can make sure I don't need to educate you. Yeah, I don't think you need to educate me. I know quite a bit. I unfortunately was only able to, I can't even say see Filter once back then. Um, I had tickets. They were on the Family Values Tour one year, and I went with uh, my good friend Johnny... And we had a penchant for always being late to concerts. And this one, Filter, was the first band. And we got there about 30 seconds before the end of... God, I can't remember what song it was. But yeah, and that was the only chance I ever had to uh, see them. I saw Filter. I saw them at... um, I think it was Edge Fest. Maybe 2007, 2006, 2007. Is it after? Wait, no, that would be way after title of record. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were old. Yeah, it was like most people didn't <laughs> See, know. I got to see them or was supposed to see them when they were in their height. But My Chemical Romance was the headliner That's, of that. So we were yeah. there until Filter because the Burden Brothers played and then Filter. And like nobody knew who filter was until they played like one or two songs and it was like oh it's that 90s band yeah and then but yeah once they finished we were out that's got to be a terrible terrible thing to do when you've had you've had so much domination for years and then you're opening for bands that yeah oh just they weren't even opening for my chemical romance they were like band number like 5 
out of 20. Yeah, but usually on the festival circuit, it kind of seems like your current top of the pops band is the one that's headlining, whether or not they've got one album or two. And you've got plenty of other bands that are have much more of a following that are just kind of older and have fallen by the wayside. I've always seen them as openers like. Yeah, so I got to see them. And even though, I mean, they were dudes in their 40s and shit, they were still amazing. Yeah. And that was, what, 12 years ago? Yeah. So that was good. But I want to talk about, um, like I said, one of the best songs of the 90s, which is Hey Man, Nice Shot, which happens to be the first song I ever heard from Filter. I think that was the first song a lot of people heard from them. Yeah, because it was the first single, but um, that was I I don't know where I heard it. I'm sure one of my cousins played it for me, because that's kind of how I got most of my music was it rolled downhill from whenever my cousins would let me ride in the car with them or something or hang out in their room. So that's probably how I heard it. But I remember going out and buying the single cassette and then buying the actual album. What was the B side of that cassette? I don't remember. I only listened to that one song. Yeah. I never had the cassette. I was just one. It just popped into my head. I was wondering if they did like the regular radio version and then like the uh, extended cut or an instrumental for the B side. I really don't know. Yeah. I can't even remember. That was really long time ago. Yeah. See, Johnny always bought like on opening day when he knew an album was going to come out, he went and bought it at Best Buy or one of the other millions of like record stores that we don't have anymore. Thanks to the internet. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if there was a good song, all I had to do was go to his house. He had already bought the CD. I could just depend on that. That album was Short Bus, which it's pretty good, but title of record is hands down. Even though it is very 90s sounding when you listen to it, I can still listen to that entire album all the way through. It is, but it isn't. It's It makes me feel like the 90s with just certain like guitar like effects and shit like that that it has it like brings back like vivid 90s memories but it's still a great sounding album so see the thing that gets me about filter these days is going back and listening to it after all this time and noticing all the different layers to it that i never noticed before so yeah i totally get the. i think the 90s thing about it is the fact that it's an association with that time because you randomly heard some of those songs during that time, and especially after Title of Record came out and Take a Picture got huge, like you heard yeah. that song three or four times a day just At in the least, course of your daily yeah. life. Yeah. So, I mean, just talking about the 90s of it, the the video was always really great. And this... And it came on when MTV actually played videos. So it was really cool because I it's like like oversaturated bright lights and colors, but then the video's dark at the mm. same time. So Yeah, that was kind of their trademark. Their, yeah. their videos are very nineties. There was always like blowing air in their faces and, right. and like shiny weird, clothes. Like weird and, camera angles. Mm-hmm. It's like all these like camera angles and shit. So I don't know. I just really liked it. So I'd always listen to it. So yeah. Hey man, I shot is one of the best songs of the nineties. If you don't know it, that's dumb. Why? <laughs> you need to go listen to it. And plus the rest of this podcast is not going to make a lot of sense to you. I mean, oh, and lastly, because I, I had to note this because seeing it was like, oh, when Richard Patrick has the little buddy Holly glasses on, he's soups adorable. Like the first time being like, whoa, nerds are kind of cute. Whatever. Because, you know, nerd culture wasn't a thing 
yet, really. I mean, it was just like true, legit nerds and nobody liked them. So that was before he became the quintessential late 90s, early 2000s bro with like the frosted tips. Right. The, that uh, the guy from Sugar Ray like yeah. modeled his entire fucking look after. See what I yeah. saw, what I did that time when I almost saw them in concert, I remember distinctively he was wearing light brown leather pants with white butt pockets on them. It was the most like ridiculous with the, with the Buddy Holly glasses. No, no, he had Damn. the frosted tips and everything by that point. But it was just that's all my blind ass could see from the nosebleed seats were the little two white pockets on the back of his butt as he was walking around. I'm sure that was very cool <laughs> at the time. So don't be judgy. The 90s was full of crazy ass rumors when it came to like alternative music. There was always something like for one, you had Marilyn Manson removing his ribs so he could give himself blowjobs. You had Kurt Cobain committing suicide. <laughs> ah, yeah. Um, so uh, Filter had their same thing because Hey Man, Nice Shot, after it came out, um, it was released after Kurt, Kurt Cobain died. And of course, the rumor mills were like, oh my God, it's a song about Kurt Cobain. And it's a song about suicide and being like, yeah, that's totally cool. And however... None of those things are true. There is no way Kurt pulled the trigger. Richard is not praising suicide in the song. And it's actually about a guy named R. Bud Dwyer. Do we need to give any, um, uh, what's the word? Disclaimers for Courtney to not sue us. Not sue us. These are all opinions. Um, jokes. That was joke. That's first amendment rights. Um, yeah. Courtney well, don't sue us. <laughs> okay. So, Let's talk about Bud and how he inspired one of the best grunge songs of the 90s. His first name is actually Robert. I don't know why he went with R. Bud Dwyer. It sounds more fancy. R. R. Bud sounds better than Richard. <sighs> or excuse me, Robert. Yeah. Because he could have gone with Dick if he was a Richard. Yeah. Dick Bud Dwyer. <laughs> <laughs> That's intense. Dick Bud Dwyer. Dick Bud Dwyer. <laughs> um, no, he's a Robert. So Robert was from Pennsylvania. And was very active in politics. So his career started in 1964 when he ran as a Republican uh, for the House of Representatives. And he served there until 1970. Then in the same year, 1970, he ran for the Senate and won. And he was reelected twice in the Senate before he decided to run for state office to be the treasurer of Pennsylvania in 1980. So he was, you know... I guess a pretty decent politician. He kept getting reelected in Pennsylvania. That so doesn't really mean he was decent. That just meant that he probably was the I household mean, it was, name. It was also the 60s and the 70s. So there's just really no telling. Yeah. Hey, okay. Decent as in he was decent at winning. Well, once again, household name. True. So while he was the treasurer, he did win reelection four times also. So people are lazy. Na household name. So, while he's in his fourth term, his office resurfaces some reports and finds out that state employees had overpaid millions of dollars in FICA taxes. And FICA is the Federal Insurance Contributions Act. So, it's just, it, it's bro broken out into a couple different taxes that you pay um, out of your paycheck. They had paid millions in incorrect tax amounts. So, um, the Treasury Department was tasked with finding out 
who all overpaid and how much money they were supposed to get, and then hiring a company to go through all that information and sort everything out. So, oh, let's also note that the error was made prior to Dwyer's um, stint as the treasurer. It happened, I guess, in the 70s. So several top accounting firms from across the country placed bids for the multi-million dollar contract, and it was determined that the California-based firm Computer Technology Associates uh, would take the, would win the bid, and it was owned by a native Harrisburg, Pennsylvanian dude. I guess he had grown up um, in Pennsylvania and that seemed kind of fishy <laughs> that, you know. By fishy, you mean typical? Yes. Well, yeah. A few months after the contract was awarded, Pennsylvania Governor Dick Thornbur, Thornbro, Thorn, Thornbur, <laughs> that's horrible, received an anonymous tip that laid out allegations of bribery that took place within the contract and named uh, Mr. DeWire as one of the people accepting kickbacks for it. And I mean, you can look at the the newspaper articles and everything, and it tells you like he supposedly got like $100,000 and then he was going to get like $50,000 a year or something for helping them get this contract. In 1989 money, that's damn good money. Right there, like it's damn good money now. Yeah, so he he's on the take, right? He's taking bribes. So Dwyer denied all allegations and maintained that he was innocent. He had done it by the book. You know, all of this was bullshit. The prosecutors, I guess, kind of listened to him, but because they came back with a plea deal stating that Robert, if Robert would plead guilty to one bribery charge and resign from office and then cooperate with the rest of the investigation, he would only face possibly five years prison. Probably at a minimum security club resort, right? Yeah. So homeboy was not down with this at all. He was like, fuck you. Fuck your deal. No, I'm going to trial because I'm an innocent man. I didn't I didn't do anything wrong. Right. You ain't got to worry about anything if you don't do anything wrong. I'm going to go to court and, you know, get my day in court and, you know, the truth will set me free. Right. Uh, wrong. Um, he is convicted on all 11 charges. So on December 18th, 1986, Dwyer is found guilty on 11 counts of conspiracy, mail fraud, perjury, interstate transportation, and aid of racketeering. He faces a sentence up to 55 years of imprisonment and a $300,000 fine. God. The most damning uh, testimony came when uh, William T. Smith got on the stand and was a witness for the prosecution and stated that he himself was the one who offered uh, Dwyer the bribe and Dwyer accepted. So they get him up there on the stand and that's what he says. It's always funny how politicians don't seem to understand how the judicial system works. Like if you're dead to rights on something like that, but you think you can beat it, how cocky and wrong of an asshole are you? Yeah. Well, he's a politician. So. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. So. Robert meets with his staff on January on the 21st, and he is due to be sentenced on January 23rd. So they're at his house and he's just talking about how he wants to have a press conference the following day, which is the 22nd, and that um, he just wants to address the press and kind of, you know, air everything out. His staff thinks he's going to go out there 
um, resign publicly um, instead of being forced out of office. And then again, just try to reiterate his innocence and that he did not do this and all of that kind of great stuff. So on the morning of January 22nd, uh, Robert holds a press conference in the Pennsylvania state capital of Harrisburg. He begins with a prepared statement, but when he reaches the last page, he goes off of script. This is what he tells the audience. I have repeatedly said that I am not going to resign as state treasurer. After many hours of thought and meditation, I have made a decision that should not be an example for anyone because it is unique to my situation. Last May, I told you that after the trial, I would give you the story of the decade. To those of you who are shallow, the events of this morning will be that story. But to those of you with depth and concern, the real story will be what I hope and pray results of this morning in the coming months and years the development of the true justice system here in the United States. I'm going to die in office in an effort to see if the shameful acts spread out all of their shame will not burn through our civic shamelessness and set fire to the American pride. Please tell my story on every radio, television station, and in every newspaper and magazine in the U.S., Please leave immediately if you have a weak stomach or mind, since I don't want to cause physical or mental distress. Joanne, Rob, Didi, I love you. Thank you for making my life so happy. Goodbye to all of you on the count of three. Please make sure that the sacrifice of my life is not in vain. So he's given this press conference and is doing the whole, you can watch it on YouTube and he's doing the whole thing. And then you just kind of see him change. And he makes this like really heartfelt plea. And one of his friends who was a journalist was sitting in the front row and he could kind of sense like and hear like as he's taking the words in and realize what's happening. But it kind of froze him in place because he was stunned. But the next thing Bud does is he removes a 357 Magnum revolver from an envelope that was hidden in the podium. He then announced Please leave the room if this will affect you. In the video, you can watch it. People start yelling, screaming. They're they're shouting, no. You can see uh, like people starting to get up and move around. As they begin to approach the podium, he puts the gun in his mouth, pulls a trigger. His limp body falls to the floor and those around him that, are like, that were running towards him kind of run to his aid. But all of that is in vain because he died instantly from the gunshot wound and it's pretty graphic like it, yeah it's pretty intense a, a 357 does a lot of damage yeah. to the human skull especially short range yeah so so now back to the rumors um another one about this case is that it was done on live tv which is not true. The cameras were rolling. It was a press conference. But back then, they didn't do a whole lot of live press conferences just because they didn't have all the equipment to broadcast from where they were. Yeah, it was very difficult. So, yeah, I mean, and being that, yeah, he was a politician. But he was also not a high-ranking politician. exactly. So they had cameras there rolling for the different news stations, but they were not broadcasting live. Many of the news stations, when they aired the footage, would stop right after the point where he puts the gun in his mouth, and then they would just play the audio. So it's this frozen image of Robert in the moment between life and death. Looking quite crazed. Yeah, like you can see... 
I don't know what emotions were running through his eyes at that exact moment. It's almost like a frenzy. It's weird. Yeah, it's like he has to do it. Like that moment, you know, is frozen in time while this audio plays on and you hear people screaming and the gunshot and everything. However, Philadelphia station WPVI played the entire suicide footage in full without any warning on their five o'clock and six o'clock broadcast. If it bleeds, it leads. There had been a major winter storm. So people were home as well as like kids were out of school. A lot of people saw this that time. That's intense. That's that's ballsy. I don't care. That's that's really freaking ballsy. Yeah, but think about it. All these years later, you were able to, you know, exactly the name of the network. That's true. That that's very true. And because of them, you can still see the video to this day because no one else has original copies of it. It, They all basically come from this new station. So back to the dreamy front man of filter, Richard Patrick with his buddy, Holly glasses. He was interviewed in 2012 and this is what he had to say. So we're going to finally clear up all the rumors about what this damn song was about. I'm from the suburbs, and I don't remember seeing a lot of things like that growing up. When you're 22 and you see that, you're like, wow, there was no internet to watch death on. You can see anything on the internet now. Back then, we were watching it out of fascination, like, wow, we're all going to die. There was a morbid curiosity. As I was watching, all I could think was, hey, man, nice shot. And that's how the song came about. Which he wrote years before Kurt Cobain even killed himself with Trent Reznor. It was possibly going to be a Nine Inch Nails song. Thank God it wasn't. (laughs) And once, you know, Richard kind of struck out on his own and did his own thing. It's the first single that Filter released. So, okay. So let's tie it up for Mr. DeWire, though. A documentary came out in 2010 called The Honest Man, A Life, The Life of Our Bud Dwyer. In it, they talk about how his death was in actuality the death of an honest man. In the documentary, William T. Smith, the former chairman of the Dauphin County Republican Committee, I probably said that wrong, but cool, and the key trial witness in Dwyer's conviction admits that he lied under oath at his own trial about bribing DeWire. He thought it would lessen his sentence. So he never extended that um, bribe to DeWire. Yeah, that sounds pretty terrible. He says he regrets this lie (laughs) and his part he played in DeWire's suicide. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sure he does. It is believed that DeWire was actually a good family man. And what he did was to help secure his family and their future. The legal fees had drained their accounts and his family would not have been able to really survive with him in prison and with the debt that he had already acquired. Since DeWire died while still in office, his widow, Joanne, was able to collect the full survivor benefits that totaled more than $1.2 million in like 1989. Well, survivor's benefits are usually paid out to the spouse for a select number not, of years. Not for congressmen. It's a little bit different hmm. than I think for like military. So many believe that he did commit suicide, A, to make a point that um, 
you know, hopefully they would figure out the truth, but also so that he could set his family up. After the press conference where Bud killed himself, his wife found a note um, that he had scribbled before leaving the house. I enjoy being with Joe so much. The next 20 years or so would have been wonderful. Tomorrow is going to be so difficult and I hope I can go through with it. And that is the story how Filter, one of the greatest 90s bands, wrote one of the greatest 90s songs about a disgraced politician who killed himself on national television. Well, isn't it more like inspired? Because it didn't, I swear I remember hearing or reading somewhere Richard Patrick say that he kind of just threw those lyrics together. Like it was definitely the inspiration. Yeah, like he, but like, like it the gave lyrical, him the the course. Yeah, so that like where he's like screaming, like hey, I can't do that. Yeah. That's terrible. But <laughs> that's what he had, and that's what was based on him. But like the yeah. verses, he just kind of yeah came up with a shit. lot of them are like tongue in cheek, like jokes, like uh, I wish I would have met you. Now it's a little late. What you could have taught me could have saved some face. Like it's, it's not like a deep dive in the song to, right, right. which is part of what led to the, you know, oh my God, it's about Kurt Cobain myths that we all endured through high school. Yeah. But it's still just a great song. Like anytime you just listen to it, you're just like, yeah, that baseline, the baseline is pretty fucking great. Yeah, it's a pretty good song, but it's one of those songs that... Stand if, the test of time. Yeah, but also the fact that I listened to it so excessively back in the day means that if I'm going to listen to Filter now, I usually kind of skip over it. No, sir. You do not skip over that. You have to let, You have to pay your homage to it. It, deser- no, it I, deserves it. I would rather listen to Welcome to the Fold or but, plenty of other songs. But, but yeah, you listen to all of it. Don't Why limit yourself? You're only hurting you when you do this. <laughs> what would Richard say? What would he say? He's actually really funny. I like the interviews we've watched with him. He's, he's a yeah, funny guy. He's, he's a character. I mean, he was able to endure... All those years and nine inch nails with Trent Reznor. Oh, so with Trent Reznor, I just I ugh Trent Trent don't sue us. Um, I just <laughs> I can't. There are some nine inch nail songs that I really like, but I just do not like Trent Reznor. Well, but one of the worst nine inch nail songs, in my opinion, that was ever written is the one that he wrote as a clapback when he was pissed that uh, Richard Patrick left. The song Pig on the Downward Spiral just doesn't need to exist. It's just not a good song. And it's Yeah, I'm totally on the correct side of history as I stand next to Richard Patrick and Filter. <laughs> Over that split, yeah. Yeah. I mean just just his one album is better than just about anything else, Kurt or uh not Kurt, sorry, Trent Reznor's done. Well, I mean, yeah, Filter has not been nearly as prolific as Nine Inch Nails has, but the thing is, is I can't think of a bad Filter album. There isn't one. Right. Yeah. All right. Thank you for joining us for this episode. If you would please head over to our Instagram page at mystified underscore pod and follow us there. We've been having monthly giveaways and we would love for you to win, but you can't do that unless you follow our fucking Instagram page. Or um, you can go to our website at mystifiedpod.com. Again, check out the Good Leaf Alternative. I'll have a link on our website and our Instagram. And you got anything else? No, I'm good. Ooh, 
uh, like, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you listen to on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you can. We would appreciate the love. Until next time. Bye. Mystified. Podcast.